Before the lockdown forced everybody to educate their children at home, people would often ask me, why do you homeschool? And in today's episode, I'm going to tell you why I think that's the wrong question to be asking. I'm going to answer it anyway, but I think that there is a more profound question we all need to ask. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hey, I'm Avital. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am a performance coach for parents. I'm the mother of four, and I homeschooled my kids before all the cool kids were doing it, i.e. everybody. And I know we could call it quarantine schooling or distance learning or homeschooling or unschooling, and there are lots of different types of home education. And wherever you fall on that spectrum, I just want to say this episode is not about judging you. It is not about making your choice wrong. I think that there is a wide range of right ways to educate children, not just one. And I think context is everything. It always depends on what's right for you, for your personality, your desires, your budget, your lifestyle, your unique child, and what you want from your life, plus what's available to you in your specific context. Instead of this being about teaching you or giving you some dogmatic idea of how we should educate children and the one right way, I'd love to open up this episode to some questions that I think are really helpful and why I think this is the most crucial and opportunistic time to be asking these questions is because everything has kind of had the reset button pressed, right? Suddenly schools and workplaces have had to very quickly throw out everything that they held sacred, like attendance. (laughs) That's suddenly become an impossible reality and we've been thrown into a completely new reality with new expectations and as all of these systems are adapting and adjusting, It's throwing everything into question. How was it serving us beforehand? How well was it functioning? Did we like it? Do we like some things about what's happening now more? And do we see, perhaps a little bit getting some x-ray vision, see some perspective on some of the pre-held conceptions we had? Maybe some of them were correct and maybe some of them weren't. For example, maybe we thought we couldn't handle time alone with our children, and now we're discovering that in some ways that's true and in other ways it's not. Or maybe we thought that teachers gave our children a certain level of uh, educational experience throughout the day, right? Like formal, intense uh, structure and, and instruction. And now we're seeing what it takes to do that. And we have maybe found an even deeper and more profound respect for teachers and maybe also found that it's easier in some ways at home or quicker in some ways. So I just want to hold space for the very wide range of experiences. I know some of us are loving this time. Some of us are struggling terribly throughout this time. All of those things are okay. Um, But I think it's a great opportunity to ask some real questions so that as we move forward into the next iteration, as we kind of evolve from the lockdown, going back out into uh, social connection, 
and certain services like schools and like workplaces beginning to open up, it's the perfect time to really ask ourselves, what are we seeking from these institutions? The show notes to this episode can be found over at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 64. And there you'll also find a link to my course Focus Time. In it, I really break down for you my personal approach and methodology with regards to homeschooling and how we actually stay on track with common core subjects like math and reading in less than an hour a day and how the rest of the time is spent learning, um, but through other approaches such as Reggio Emilia and unschooling. So if you want the breakdown of exactly how to do that, it's a very bingeable course. It's a very quick course. It costs $48. You can complete it in less than three hours. And it will include all of the links and resources to the specific curriculums and materials that I use. So if that's helpful for you, you can find that over at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 64. Um, and if this episode is something of interest to you and you find value in it and you think other parents would find value in it too, then please share it out on Instagram. That's how parents often discover my work and I'm so grateful to be able to show up and be of service during this time. So if you think it might help anybody who is struggling with homeschooling, then please go ahead and tag them and share that over there. As I started saying, People often ask me, why do you homeschool? Because in our current culture, it is the less ordinary thing to do, right? It is usually the exception to the rule. And so people want me to explain why I've chosen uh, the less trodden path, right? And it the question holds within it this idea that I need to justify, and it's fine, I'm not defensive about it, I'm so happy to explain, but the idea is the default is sending kids to school so why wouldn't you follow that default? And I know that many of you listening might be living in countries like Germany or in certain countries where it's actually illegal to homeschool. And this isn't even a question on your lips because it is not an option for you. However, if you live in the United States and in many countries around the world, it is legal for you and you do have that option available to you. We have developed, since the industrial era, when schools became a thing, uh, we have developed a greater and greater dependency on schools and a greater and greater outsourcing of our children's education. In fact, throughout the vast majority of human history, children were educated by their parents uh, or in their homes with tutors, etc. right? And when schools did begin, they were small and minimal, right? Short in days. Uh, short in hours as well. And still, the vast majority of shaping our children's thinking, shaping their minds, um, guiding them and, you know, offering them opportunities to learn, such as apprenticeships and working environments, etc., was coming through parents. Parents have always been the primary educators in that regard. And so it's relatively modern concept that children should be in school. And since the industrial era, uh, you know, to put a cynical spin on it, we discovered that schools were a really great way of indoctrinating people into obedient citizens, into citizens who knew how to follow rules, how to be obedient, how to submit to authority, how to change and switch, you know, stations at the ring of a bell, just like one would in a factory. And schools themselves have mimicked a factory line in many regards. And I know this sounds really critical of schools. And I know that there are many schools that don't operate this way today. And there are also, I have nothing but the most profound respect for teachers 
who work really hard to offer individualized, you know, customized and personalized experiences for kids within a setting that sometimes doesn't allow and doesn't support that and isn't resourced for that type of education. But the way I see it is that schools are a service, a service that the government is providing in exchange for our tax dollars or a service that a private company is providing, right? Private schools. And either way, it's a service. Um, my personal opinion is that we get to choose in the case that it is legal. So let's just put that to one side for a minute, right? When it's legal, we get to choose whether or not we want that service. We get to choose whether or not we think it's a good service. So when you look at a school, there are three main things that I can think of that it provides in terms of a service that we would pay for. Um, and this is whether or not the school is technically free and you're paying through your tax dollars or technically private and you're actually paying money for it. Either way, the school is providing a service, which is A, babysitting, right? Let's just put that on the table because that's a valuable service. They are keeping your child safe and minding, right? It's caring for a child uh, to whatever extent they do that, but they are caring for a child and keeping them safe uh, for a bunch of hours a day. And typically, if we're working, if we're working outside the home, or even if we're at home and not working, we all need a break from our kids and we all need them to be babysat from time to time. And so that is a service that most of us are willing to pay for, um, again, in, in any kind of way through tax dollars or through private uh, commission. The next thing that schools provide is an educational program, right? The government or the private school, whoever it is in charge, issues a curriculum, decides what it is children need to know, uh, decides how they're going to learn it, how old they learn it at, uh, what exact materials and in what way they're going to be learning, and how they're going to be measured, uh, how the success is going to be measured. And they make these decisions, they sit in committees, they, you know, educational professors or people or whatever it is, I don't even know who the officials are that make these decisions, but they go through, um, you know, various curriculums. It's a big business. They get bid bids by various companies to be the ones to provide the curriculums, to provide the textbooks. And of course, there's always subjective narrative put on that, right? There's always a decision of how we're going to spin world events and how we're going to present um, various historical topics or politics or whatever it is. And there's also a subjective spin put on the hierarchy of the topics themselves, like putting a greater emphasis, i.e. more hours, more intrigue, more interest, more caring on mathematics and science, for example, and a lower degree of value on things like art and dance. So all of those kind of calls that are being made around the children's educational program is a service that's provided to you when you sign up for school. When you sign up for school, you're basically handing over the keys to your child's education for the most part, say 90%, right? And saying, I am trusting this committee, whatever committee is working on it in that particular school, be it the government or their own board, and I'm trusting this teacher and I'm trusting this, uh, you know, this service that's provided to me to put together a cohesive education that will serve my ch child in their future, that will shape them into critical thinkers, that will give them the types of facts and figures and skills that they need in life, um, that will also uh, philosophize with them and teach them moralities and ethics and uh, narratives and interpretations 
of whatever it is that they're learning. And of course, I'll do that at home as well. We can still have the conversations and I can still impart my faith, my belief, my mindset. But for, you know, about eight hours a day, six to eight hours a day or so, um, I will be employing someone else to do that for me. So that's the second service that schools offer, right? The first service is the babysitting. The second service is the educational program. And I'm not saying this in order of importance or anything, just just random. And then the third service is it's a social program, right? Whatever school we try uh, to apply to and enroll in, we're also opting into a certain level of a community. We are basically making a choice for our children, which kind of children they'll be exposed to, which uh, kind of parent body we want to associate with, and how how that that community behaves, what kind of value system it has, what kind of vibe it runs at is a service that we're buying, right? We are opting in, we are being part of a culture. And so the social program includes who goes to that school and then what kind of social experiences are crafted in the school. Because every school has an approach to diversity, to inclusivity, to managing conflict, to managing age differences and gender differences and racial differences and socioeconomic differences and all of that stuff. So this is, again, a service that's being provided to us to uh, kind of teach our child, mold our child, shape our child in a certain social community. And that is a profound service, right? That's profound. And when it's good, it's great. (laughs) And that's true for all of these. When they're good, they're great. Um, But given that these are huge services, right? We're talking about six to eight hours a day, sometimes more, sometimes less, of babysitting, of educational programming, right? Really molding and shaping our child's way of looking at the world and at themselves, right? Their own self-esteem, their own confidence, their own risk tolerance, their own capacities are going to be shaped within the school setting. And then also being part of a community. Um, All of those things are services that we are opting into when we enroll our child in any given school. Given the magnitude of that service, given how hugely that shapes a child's perception of themselves and the world around them, my own thinking is that the real question should be, why do you choose to send your child to school? If that is a choice indeed that you are able to make, right? Why send your child to school? I think it has to justify itself to us. And I think some schools do, right? Sometimes we're in a position where, well, it provides babysitting and that is what I need. I go to work, I don't have another option. That's why I'm enrolling them in school. And that's a legitimate answer. We just have to know that that's the answer, right? Sometimes it's because the school provides an educational program that I think is a great service. It provides great educational experiences. It it promotes a growth mindset. It promotes, you know, a sense of equality and diversity in its social program. And the product itself from that perspective is something that I'm happy and excited to opt into. Again, a great reason to send a kid to school. A great reason to uh, entrust our children in a system if we think it's a great system, if we think that it really provides a a top-notch service or even a good enough 
service, right? We might say, well, I'm not really happy with the social programming that's happening in our school, but because of the babysitting and because of the educational programming, I think it's worth it, right? So all of these things are legitimate and all of this conversation is privileged to begin with. So I'm going to stop apologizing and stop making that disclaimer. Um, But when we are in a position to make that decision, and many of us can get into a position to make that decision if we're not in one right now, um, then we have to ask ourselves, why send a kid to school? So one of the main reasons that people say to me, oh, you homeschool, I could never, I would say there are two main reasons. One is that they think that because they haven't been trained in education as teachers have, because they don't have a degree or because they don't remember math very well or because they don't know history, because they haven't been so well educated, um, that they can't educate their children. So they think they're not technically equipped, that they don't have the degrees, the certification, the justification, the validation that they would need. And I think that this is a myth. Um, I have very publicly shared that I really don't know math. I learn math alongside my eight-year-old. We learn it together. We watch a Khan Academy video. We do the math problems in his textbook, and I am learning just as much as he is. You do not need to know the things that your child needs to know. In fact, that's impossible, and no teacher does, because the world changes and evolves so quickly, and because there's so much knowledge to be had. All you have to do is be interested, be willing, and be a guide that's willing to come alongside them and facilitate learning together. You need to have someone who has a mindset of being a lifelong learner, of liking learning, of being curious, and of being interested to find the answers, because in the age of information, the answers are there. And so if you say, I can't homeschool because I'm not qualified, that, you know, we've got to call BS on that, because Uh, The truth is that you don't need a qualification in order to learn with your child. And you don't need to give them a frontal lecture and test them. That's the beauty of homeschooling is that it's a journey of learning and you can go on that journey together. There is zero reason for you to know this stuff up front. There is just every reason for you to be curious and discover the answers alongside your child. The other thing that people often say is, I don't have the time or the energy. And to that, I want to say, I get it. You know, I get it. I understand. I think often we don't have the time or the energy. Often we don't have the support system. We don't have, um, you know, what it is that we need in order to get our breaks or get our work done. However, just as we outsource babysitting to a school, we could outsource babysitting in other creative ways as well. So if the educational program and the social program don't justify a choice to go to the particular schools that are available to you, um, but like me, you still need time to do your work and time to be, um, you know, to be away from your children, to care for yourself, especially when you're not on lockdown, then there are other ways of solving that problem. There are homeschool co-ops, there is bartering with other parents, there is paying for mother's helper or for babysitters, you know. So there are lots of different solutions that you can find to those problems or switching off with a partner, maybe a grandparent who's willing to help while you're working. Um, There are actually solutions to the babysitting problem, as it were, um, but school is not the only one. And I just want to say it's a legitimate one, but it's not the only one. So feeling like I'm not qualified or feeling like I don't have the time or energy, these are not necessarily things that need to stop you from becoming a homeschooler. I think we need to a little bit 
demystify what goes on in schools. And we put, you know, education on a pedestal, and it should be. It's such an important part of everybody's life, educational. I think every parent listening to this wants their children to be well-educated. Um, but our, my question is, uh, what consists, what creates uh, good education? And I venture to, to guess, my guesstimate is that in 80% of the schools, that's not what's happening. In 80% of the schools, children are memorizing rote facts uh, only to kind of, you know, vomit them up again on an exam and then forget them promptly. Um, so the facts themselves are not staying with the children. And just think about yourself, how many of the facts that you memorized for your schooling do you today retain and use? So I would say about 80% of the information that we learn in school is not useful to us throughout our lives. So that can't be why we're holding school on this big pedestal, right? So maybe it's about the skills that people develop in school. Like, oh, in school, they're really going to learn to read and write and, uh, you know, write a proper report and do a, present in front of a class. And then you have to really break that down and say, well, are those skills that I couldn't just easily acquire elsewhere or even on my own? you know, thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of homeschoolers say differently, right? They've seen that it's not that complicated. It's not rocket science. We can piece it together. And then we say, well, the social experience, kids need friends. And I agree, kids need friends. But often in schools, um, you know, the social experience can be lacking. It can be harmful. It can be great in some schools for some kids. And in others, you know, you can have a lot of teasing or a lot of bullying or the idea that you can only make friends with people who are the same age and gender as you because schools are often very segregated, especially by age, right? You're only with other seven-year-olds or other eight-year-olds. Whereas in a homeschool setting, I know the big criticism of homeschooling is that often kids aren't socialized, which is really a laughable problem because kids in a homeschool setting typically socialize with lots of different people of lots of different ages and stages than them. And they actually... Uh, are allowed to and encouraged to form deep friendships and overcome obstacles. And they aren't just sent to stand in a corner if they were giggling in class, right? They are able to actually experience real life relationships that evolve and that adapt and that cross the boundaries of age and gender and all the people who look exactly like me because, you know, those are the only people that I know in school. And so I, I think... If you look at those three criteria, you'll see that it's a it's a massive service that schools are offering us. And some schools offer a fantastic service on all three counts. We feel like our kids are safe and loved and having fun. So the babysitting is great. And we think that the educational program is rich and comprehensive and helpful. And we think they're developing a good mindset there, right? So that's the other thing is I think when you look back at your own education and you think about a lot of the lessons learned in school are things like, I'm not good enough, I need to cram, I need to be pressured, I need to be scared of authority, uh, you know, I need to be quiet and sit down at all times, I need to wait for the bell, I shouldn't be interested and curious and really fascinated and try to educate myself because it's cool and important and the world is a fascinating place, but rather because I have to get a grade on a test, right, school is all about extrinsic motivation. Uh, punishments and reward systems that actually minimize our children's curiosity and their creativity. And that is shown in research that creativity in schools actually plummets throughout the years. Children come in very creative and come out very non-creative. And the reason is 
because there's a right answer on the test. Typically tests are multiple choice or, you know, they're being graded yes or no answers, <laughs> red or green. And they're learning that there aren't multiple ways to see a situation or multiple solutions. And they're also learning a competitive environment, right? A win-lose paradigm where only one person can be the valed valedictorian and where there's controlling for grades and that kind of thing. So they're really not learning collaboration and teamwork and what it takes to do a project in real life, you know, where people actually work together to create something great and play into their strengths. And so, yeah, as you can hear, I have a lot of criticisms for many of the school systems. And that, again, doesn't mean every school and it certainly doesn't mean every teacher. And I think a lot of children thrive in school. But when people ask me, why do you homeschool? Well, that's my response is, well, why do you send to school? If I found a school nearby, and I have, I have, my kids go two days a week uh, to a preschool that has ticked these boxes for me because I love the babysitting, the educational program and the social program there. Um, so when it's not coronavirus time at the moment, we are utilizing that. And that's what I'll just say is I see this as a service. They need to pitch it to me. I need to think it's great or else I'm not enrolling. I'm not accepting their service because I don't want it. It's a huge service. They're basically raising my kids for me in you know, a 50% capacity at least. Um, I need to think that it's great. You know, I need to think that it's worth it, not just worth the money, but worth all that time that my child's going to spend there. Um, I think the time is, is the more valuable thing to me. My own feeling is that my children are only young once. They only do one childhood. And I have really jumped through a lot of hoops to set up my life so that I can work and uh, have them home um, and do cool projects with them and take classes and go on outings and I hire babysitting help uh, and I switch off with my husband and we've structured our lives and made life choices um, that have enabled that and sometimes that involves sacrificing a certain lifestyle that might involve giving up on a size of a house that you wanted or on a specific area you wanted to live in or on a job that you wanted and minimizing your life in that way. So maybe it, it maybe financially it's less available. You know, if your kids are home, it means you're working less, etc. Or maybe in fact, you find a creative way as many homeschooling parents I know do, uh, to work whilst you're homeschooling and to make that work and to actually save money. Maybe if you were going to spend your kids to, to private school, you might be saving big money. So in terms of the money and in terms of just making it work, there are a lot of different ways of making it work. And it's a lifestyle choice uh, that has the pros and cons. Um, but putting that to one side, I'll just say, I think it's a choice that we can make. And I want to empower you to know, and this isn't about convincing you to homeschool, it might be the wrong choice for you. And you might have a great school as well. Um, or good enough school. And good enough is good enough. Um, but I do want to tell you that you can do it if you want to. You don't need to be a teacher. You don't need to have some magnificent energy levels. And the truth is that the more time you spend with kids, the more you parent, the easier it gets. As you might be discovering during this quarantine, it actually gets easier the more you do it. Um, and the same is true for homeschooling. So it's not some mystical superpower that homeschoolers have. It's simply a choice that they make. And as I was saying, I feel my children's childhood is only happening once and it's relatively short, a few years. And for me to spend, you know, a third of that time, for me to put them spending a third of that time in a certain institution, 
I think that institution has to really prove itself to me. I haven't yet had that experience apart from the, the preschool that we sometimes send to uh, for two days a week. Um, but I think it's a time in our lives now that school has kind of been reshuffled. I think it's a time in our lives to reconsider what these services are providing to us as parents. Is it what we want? Is it what we're hoping for? Does it answer our needs? And if not, um, perhaps to really visit an area of trust in ourselves to be able to provide something maybe not even just as good, but even better. Um, I have developed a self-confidence over the years that there isn't some magical thing that school provides. There isn't some magical quality that teachers possess that I can't, you know, grow into and learn. There isn't some mystical thing about teaching kids to read or teaching them history or teaching them math. These are things that if we so choose as parents, we can most certainly enjoy, create, learn, grow into on our own terms. And if you have a loving home where you support curiosity, where you offer a lot of relaxation and free time, where you make the space for every person to be who they are and to show up with vulnerability, including yourself, then I think you'll be ahead of the game on most of the schools out there. Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.